Yeah. Um, I feel like, you know, you guys, the worship team could just get up again and sing uh, Jesus is the center of it all, and that will be our message, and we can all go home because that's kind of what I'm talking about. So, um, But I just wanted to – I had a lot of people recently talk about deception, and, and it was just kind of like – just I just heard it a lot, and different people talk about it recently, and it kind of got me thinking about that word and like how do you how do you stay out of deception and um and so I kind of thought about it, and the funny thing is like when you're being deceived like you like a lot of times we're like you know we think deception looks like something we're like you know, see some man who's strung out on drugs and he's like screaming to the world and like, oh, he's deceived, got him. And we're like, boom, gotcha. And then, um, you know, or we see like, you know, some pop star like singing about the devil and the Illuminati and we're like, ooh, deception. But um, like, and we just, like deception is one of those things where it's actually, if you're being deceived, you don't actually know you're being deceived. Like deception is... The fact that you, what you believe, you believe is actually true. And it's not until you discover it's not true that you realize you're being deceived. And what I'm going to talk about is not actually being deceived. Uh, How do you not become deceived? Because I believe if you're only trying not to be deceived, you're actually deceived. (laughs) Because you don't actually try and stay out of deception. All you try and do is you walk with Jesus. And... The word says that if you walk in the light and have fellowship with him in the light, then actually what happens is, I should just read it, is that if you walk in him with the light as he is in the light and you have fellowship with him, then he is faithful to remove everything inside of you that's not of him. And so I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, you know, you don't actually discover a counterfeit $100 bill by studying counterfeit $100 bills. The way that you find a counterfeit $100 bill is you study the real thing. And so, and so what does it look like to not be deceived? It actually looks like just following Jesus. And, and so I think that, I think that, um, Sorry, I'm looking at my notes. That's, I think that I need to look at my notes. Uh, I think that the reality is, is that, you know, I, I title this message uh, Shadows versus Substance. And I think so often what happens and how we get off is we start actually looking at the shadows rather than the substance. And the substance is the Jesus, you know, the, the Sunday school answer that we would all say, which is Jesus, yes. The, the Sunday school answer is Jesus. The substance is Jesus. And the funny part about that is, is I think so often, you know, the Bible says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I think so often as Christians, we think that actually means you will know the Bible and the Bible will set you free. And I would actually say that's not true. Because Jesus, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. So Jesus is the truth, and I would actually say that probably some of the greatest destruction that has been done on the earth has actually been done in the name of the Bible. (laughs) And I love also what Bill Johnson says. He says, some of 
the worst things done is, is, has been people who've read the book and not been in love. Because the reality is the truth and the, the word can only be lived out and actually have effect in your life if it's through relationship with Jesus. Because you can read this thing however you want to, but if you're not reading it with him, it actually won't transform you. And so truth is a person. Everyone say truth is a person. And Colossians 2, 16 through 19 says, So why would you allow anyone to judge you because of what you eat or drink or insist that, keeps, uh, that you keep the feast, observe new moon celebrations or the Sabbath? All of these things are but a prophetic shadow. Everyone say shadow. And the evidence of what would be fulfilled for the body, um, for the body which is now Christ. Don't let anyone disqualify you from the prize. Don't let their pretend sincerity fool you so that they deliberately lead you into uh, initiation of angel worship for they take pleasure in pretending to be experts of something they know nothing about. Their reasoning is meaningless and comes from their own opinions. They refuse to take hold of the true source. Say source. And so... Paul is, is writing these things, and, and a lot of these things kind of like go over our head because it doesn't really like, you know, you, we hear new moon celebrations, and we're like, yeah, that sounds kind of weird. Or, um, you know, we hear about eating right foods versus wrong foods, and, and we're like, yeah, we don't really relate to that as much. But culturally, these were things that were actually hot topics of the day. And a lot of these things were actually what God initiated, like the Sabbath and like what you should eat and what was holy versus unholy. And so Paul is talking about these things and these things are the hot topics of culture. And he was saying, hey, now it's no longer about these certain things that you do. It's actually about following Jesus and him being the source of your life. And if, and you gotta realize that all of these things were shadows. All of the things in the Old Testament were shadows and per. Um, and prophetic pictures of what actually Jesus was and is. And so, what does that mean for us? I would like to say that a lot of times, you know, those things might not apply to us, but I think as uh, a Western culture, we love knowledge, yeah? We love knowledge. And, and not only that, we have more access to knowledge than we ever have before, yeah? You could go and figure out something in like five seconds on your phone. And so because we love knowledge, we often think in the Western world that if we know something, we've experienced it and we've almost mastered it, like just if we know something. And, and that's why, you know, people are like, we see something that's happened on the other side of the world and we're like, oh, you could just do this and this and this and everything will be great. And, and in reality, like, you even talk about poverty and all these kind of things. And in our minds, we're like, oh, yeah, you just apply this knowledge to that, and this fixes the whole problem. And when you get in the midst of a problem, that's not actually, it doesn't, you can't just apply a formula to it and it fix it, right? But when we start to, when, when we value knowledge over, over an experience with that knowledge, what actually happens is that, we think if we know the Bible, then, abs then we know God. 
We think if we know the Bible, we know God. And I would like to say that you can know the Bible, but that doesn't mean you know God. You can actually go to church every single week, and it doesn't mean you know God. It's so... (laughs) If you... If you're happy and you know it and you love Jesus, show it, right? <laughs> Sometimes I serve people. I'm at a, work at a restaurant and I'm serving people. And like some of the grumpiest people who come in are Christians. God is joy, yeah? <laughs> just because you go to church, just because you know the Bible, doesn't mean you know Jesus. And, and the hardest part of this is, is that, you know, Jesus is a person, and therefore, the truth is a person, and therefore, in order to know this person, it takes this thing called relationship. And the scary thing about relationship, I don't know if you've realized it, but if you're in a relationship, it's not always just like, like my wives and I relationships looks a lot different than other people's relationships, yeah? And, and it it takes this thing called connection. And, and crazy things happen in connection. Like it's not just this like, it's not a robotic experience. It's a relational experience. And, and the thing is, is God is so wanting relationship with us. And all throughout the Bible, you see one thing and one correlation is I want to be close to you. God's whole heart is, I want to be close to you. And so, what I love about this is, is you know, 1 John 1 describes the word. And I, and I want to read that because some of you guys are like, it's not all about the Bible. And I would say it's all about Jesus. But the cool thing about it's all about Jesus is he gave us his word, Yeah. And so I'm not saying, like, I'm not devaluing the word. What I'm saying is the word has to be taken in context. And everything that we do as a church has to lead us to the source or it's not going to be life. And so 1 John 1 says this, We saw him with our very own eyes. We gazed upon him and heard him speak. Our hands actually touched him. The one who was from the beginning, the the living expression of God. This life giver was made visible and we have seen him. We testify to this truth. The eternal life giver lived face to face with the Father and and has now dawned upon us. So we proclaim to you what we have seen, heard about this life giver so that we may share and enjoy this life together. For truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus, the Anointed One. So I love what they're, because what they're actually describing is the Word. And they're saying, hey, we testified of what we have taste, what we have put our hands upon, what we've seen with our eyes, and what we've heard. And this is what we've testified, and this is what we put in the Word. And this Word was all about this one thing. It was about fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know what's crazy to me is that, is that literally people think that, like, that 
no longer do we need <laughs> no longer do we need experiences with God because the apostles actually were the ones who were supposed to experience God and they were supposed to write the Bible and now we have the Bible to go off of rather than experiences with God. It's called sensationalism. It's not only about the gifts, it's actually did I say it wrong? Sen Sen yeah, what she said. <laughs> and so it's no longer, like they say, like because of that, now we have the Bible, so we actually are okay, and, and we, don't have, we don't necessarily need to hear God. We don't actually need to experience God because the apostles did, and they wrote it all down in the book of the Bible. Isn't that crazy? If God is all about relationship and he's all about us being close to him, you think he's like, I'm going to come and write a book. Now you can read the book and know about me. We've replaced the Holy Spirit with the Holy Bible. And now we're saying, oh, the Bible will lead us. And I would say, no, the Bible can't lead you. <laughs> Only relationship with Jesus can lead you. You realize that there's things in the word that actually say, do one thing and do another. Well, how do you know what to do? You're in relationship with Jesus. Like sometimes Jesus says go. Sometimes he says stay. Which one is it, God? Go. Oh, okay, go. <laughs> like Jesus, like his word has to be met with relationship. And he gave us his Holy Spirit to live inside of us so that we can go and be in relationship with him everywhere we go. And so I think the reason why we've given up relationship versus rules and laws is because as humans, we really like formulas. We really like to be in control. And relationship is one of those things where it's never just this like, do this, 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 and then you're good. It's always this connection and this life-giving process. And, and, and it's why... You know, we're, we weren't supposed to be like the Israelites. And often I think we become the Israelites. And what I'm saying by that is instead of going up the mountain to meet with God and him speak to us, other times we stay on the bottom of the mountain and we say, hey, Mo, you go up there, you get what God wants to tell us, and then we'll just do that. But the reality is the only one who was transformed in that exchange was who? was Moses. Because when Moses came down from the mountain, his face was glowing. They're like freaking out. They're like, don't get near me. You're too radiant. <laughs> it's got to be a weird thing, you know? But here the Israelites are and they're saying, hey, I want you to give me a step-by-step -step process and I want you to go up there and do that thing called relationship and come down up to us and then just kind of give us the, the bullet points, you know? And, and all throughout history, we've done this as humans is we've exchanged relationship for rules and laws. And, and that's why, you know, they changed 10 commandments and it changed to 613 laws and some of those were actually laws that they gave them, but then they, they would add on certain things. And so, you know, they could only walk for so long on the Sabbath, you know? Like, 
I just think about it. That would really stink if you reach the end of your steps and you're like out in the middle of nowhere. You're like, dang it. I don't want to take another step. Or I'm going to miss this one up. I'm going to mess this one up. And, And they actually cared more about the steps than the heart of what it was all about. And so often we care all about the steps rather than what the heart of it is about. I remember I used to, this is just a a fun, (laughs) I just remember this. We used to have this game when we were ridiculous teenagers and uh, we would play it and and you would put a bag over your head. Don't try this at home. And we would play, you would ding dong ditch a house, but the person, you would take them with a bag over their head and you would put them in front of the house and you would ding-dong ditch, you would take the bag off their head, and then they only had five steps. And no matter where they ended up on the fifth step, they had to hide. <laughs> so it was like sometimes, like, I remember one time my friends brought me in front of this house where there was, like, no landscaping. And my fifth step was in the middle of the grass, and I just laid down on the ground. And the guy came out, and he, like, is looking at me. He's like, he walks a little closer. And I'm like trying to like hold it as long as I can. And I'm like, ah! and then I just ran. <laughs> so that kind of reminded me of that. Like, you know, dang it, I took too many steps. And then you're just like planted in one spot. But what I'm saying is, is that we sometimes care more about the steps and the process than we do actually the heart of what God's trying to do. And instead of actually realizing what his intentions are for us, we get into the intentions and then we get into the shadows and we find ourselves chasing shadows rather than the very substance of who God is. And and so I realize that it's all about relationship and everything he wants to do in our lives is all about relationship. And throughout the Bible, you see this same theme that goes on. Adam and Eve starting in a garden with God, walking hand to hand. Jesus dwelling amongst his people, which we talked about, the tabernacle and what that signified and and the presence being with man. And, And God's whole intention through the old covenant was this, is I want to be with my people. And therefore, if he realized, you know, the whole Old Testament was about this. It was, what steps do we have to do so that we can be in right relationship with Jesus? But when Jesus came, he took all the right steps and fulfilled the law so that he could always be with us. And so when we continue to make it about the law and when we continue to make it about the steps, what we do is we take away the role of Jesus and we say, I'm going to fulfill these steps. And we try and do something that Jesus has already taken care of and that we already have access to. Instead of just stepping into his presence and doing relationship and life with him, we turn what Jesus did into many things and we make it all about the shadows and the things rather than the substance that we have now access to that lives inside of us. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I believe that Jesus wants to restore all things and when he restores all things, he makes them better. So what does it look like better than the garden? Some of you guys are like, whoa. 
Well, Jesus said, hey, it's better that I leave you and send my Holy Spirit. So what does it look like for it to be better than Jesus with us in the flesh? What does it look like better than Jesus with us in the flesh? Maybe it looks like Jesus living inside of us. That's a crazy concept. And it's in the Bible? What? It's in the Bible? That's a long way off from Jesus gave us a Bible so that we can follow a Bible. That sounds a lot like the law, right? Sounds a lot like taking away relationship for steps. And so what I realize is that I see, especially now, um, you know, I'm working in, in, in like a very, um, like a lot of my coworkers are just kind of wild and crazy. And, and, and not only that, like I'm with youth and I'm teaching them about Jesus and they have like no concept of Jesus. Like they don't know who Moses is. And so I'm really realizing how, how do we demonstrate Jesus to a world who is so hungry. And, and what I realize is there's differences, I think, between generations. And, <clears throat> and the differences that I see is that, you know, a lot of the previous generation, they followed something because it was in the Bible and it was the law and it was, that's what you did. But they, you, if you ask them why, a lot of times there was no reasoning. They just know everybody else is doing it. And, and I'm not, when I say generation, you know, you might not, you might be in that generation. That doesn't mean you're doing it. That just means generally, right? And so, you know, it's just, you do this because that's what good Christians do and that's why you do it. But then this generation is like, why are you guys doing that? <laughs> and they're like, well, you just do it because that's culture, that's tradition. They're like, no, I'm going to go be wild and crazy and no one's going to tell me what to do. And a lot of times, instead of living by truth, they live by their feelings. And so they're redefining what truth actually is because I feel this way, therefore that's who I am and that's what I am. And that's also scary. Yeah? Because then, you know, I am what I am. My passions are my passions. Therefore, if I have... Uh, if, I have a pa if I have a desire to go steal something, well then, maybe I'm just a robber. Maybe that's who I am, you know? Maybe I redefine my gender. Maybe I do whatever I want to do because that's what I feel and that's therefore what it is. And what I realized and what I've, I've shared, because I start sharing with these young, these, this, these youth who come in and they have no grid for Jesus. They have no grid for anything. And I say, listen, what is freedom? And they're like, you're going to do whatever you want to do. I'm like, really? That's awesome. I want to be free. Um, but when you really get down, what I've realized is, you know, when I do whatever I do, usually I want to do, usually I find myself in bondage. If you gave your kid uh, a whole bucket of candy and said, you're free to do whatever you want to do, that's freedom. And they're like, yeah! They're just like pounding the candy down. All of a sudden, that freedom, 
now is not feeling so free when they have a tummy ache and they're throwing up everywhere, right? That doesn't look like freedom, does it? And what I've realized is actually freedom comes from a father. (laughs) Freedom comes from following the father. And when you realize the father is good, he leads you into good things. And when you discover the nature of a father and who he is, he leads you into all truth. And, and, and I started talking, you know, I had desires even when I was young and, and wanting to go do whatever I, d- I did. And, and I asked, you know, these kids, like, how many of you guys like have ever wanted to drink? And they're like, yeah. And I said, yeah, that looks, they're like, some of them are like, yeah, that's free. That's fun. You get to do whatever you want. I said, okay, that's awesome. How, how free does that homeless man look on the side of the road if, if all he can do is drink? And, and it doesn't have to be homeless. It could be anyone. How free does it look when all you can think about is I have to have alcohol in my system to be okay? Does that look free? No, that doesn't look free. Oh, yeah, I guess that doesn't look free. Dang. So what is freedom? Freedom comes from the Father. And when I realize He's a good Father, and I realize that He leads me into all truth, and freedom comes through relationship, and I start to trust, it, trust Him, you see, Jesus is amazing. He doesn't headlock you into the truth. He's not like, come on, you're going to get this down. He's like, hey, I want you to know who I am. I want you to know my nature so that you trust me so much that you'll follow me. But I'm not going to push you. I'm not going to drag you. I'm not going to grab you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to let you taste and see how good I am and how my thoughts for you are so amazing and that I want to actually love you and lead you into everything that you were created for. And I'm going to win over your heart over and over and over again until you realize that actually you have my whole heart, God, because you're so good and you love me so much. Freedom comes through relationship. But so often what I realize is we want freedom through rules. We want to everybody to follow the same thing because it's flat and it's standard and you can give the three steps or the four steps and the five steps and it can be just streamlined. But relationship isn't streamlined. It actually, it takes work. <laughs> it takes trust. It takes love, and it takes us giving God our heart because he's after this one thing. He's after my heart. See, religion is after performance. Religion wants you to look good on the outside, and it doesn't really matter about the inside. But Jesus wants us to be whole people, And what I realized and what I talked about last week is that God is actually wanting us to transform culture through us being a representation of the glory of what he originally created. And so often, I said this last time I spoke, that as Christians, we're trying to change rules. We're trying to change you know, we're trying to operate through politicians and things to create a moral society when in reality, Jesus wants us to let our light shine. He wants us to represent the glory of what he intended for us because when people see the glory, they say, oh, that's what I was created for. 
And when we live our lives in such a way that's glorious, I promise you, people will want Jesus. They'll want Jesus. Because actually Jesus created marriage. And he said it's good. And I remember I never actually wanted to be married for a long time because what I had seen didn't look glorious. And it wasn't until I saw what the beauty of it was that it transformed my whole opinion of it. And I said, wow, God, like that's what I want. And the funny thing is my wife never wanted to be married either. And the reason why she didn't want to be married, she shared her testimony, was because she grew up in the church and her grandfather who started the church was in all these affairs and all of a sudden she saw what was ugly and nasty and said, I don't want that. How many of you guys know we should all say, I don't want that? Why? Because it was never what God intended. And so often I believe we are responding to what God never intended and we're saying, yikes. And the world's responding and they're saying, ugh, that's ugly. And we're like all offended. Well, you don't want to be in, you don't, you don't want this? Like you don't want religion? You, you don't want that? And they're like, no, and they shouldn't. But I promise you they want Jesus. Because Jesus, you realize the way that he intended everything, when if we were to see it, our minds would be blown at the beauty of what it is. God living inside of you. And I realized that as I talked to some of my coworkers, actually, so much of the craziness in their life, actually, they are simply have responded out of religion. They've, like some of these people who are walking in, like living crazy lifestyles, actually, they went to church and they got burnt and they're like, I'm never going back. And they're actually mad at God. But I would actually say they're not mad at God. They're mad at something that he never created or intended it to be. And so what I realize is as I talk with these people is that (laughs) it's actually not about, it's not actually about, like I had someone frustrated at me because like I was sharing Jesus and, and I wasn't reading it specifically out of the Bible. And they were like really frustrated about that. And I was like, I was like, you realize none of these people know the Bible. Like, you realize that that what I'm saying is I think we've grown up in such a Christian, like when I grew up, like I was saturated in a Christian culture that everyone actually knew some references to the Bible. But now these kids have no idea any of these things. And so you have to realize the way for them to discover the beauty of what Jesus intended isn't by us quoting scripture. It's by us living a life in such a way where they see the glory of what God intended and created. And I, something, I mean, I literally can cry about this because I realize that God has not given us favor for the world because we haven't grown in love, a love for the world. And I love what Sean Bowles says. He says, whatever you don't have love for, you will not have influence for. And I realize that God is not wanting to give us influence what we don't have love for. Because if we don't have love and capacity 
for a world that doesn't know Jesus and has no grid for what it looks like, they're longing to see it demonstrated. And so often, we need to ask ourselves, Jesus, what does love look like? And I've realized in my own life, the only way for them to see the beauty of what Jesus has is calling us to is for us to be in relationship with him because the one who's in relation, we're in relationship knows the heart of every single person on the earth. And it's so beautiful to me when you know nothing about a person, but he knows everything and you're saying, hey, this is what God says about you. And they're like, ah! like they're a mess. And to me, that's beautiful, man. And it compels me and it compels me to want more of him and to know him more. And, and the beauty of, of what I said is, you know, there were, I said 613 laws. Someone asked Jesus, Jesus, what is the most important of the commandments? And he says, to love your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, how many of you guys know that there's other commandments, right? How effective do you think it would be if I got up here and started preaching about to not kill anybody? Like if I just went on a whole sermon about not killing people, that would be pretty weird, right? Like if you're angry, don't have a knife, don't have a gun, just separate yourself from these. Do not let yourself be tempted. If your neighbor's bothering you, you know, like that would be a weird message, yeah? And what I'm saying is this, is why did Jesus condense these all these laws into two things. It's because he knows if you get in relationship with him, he will transform you. If you get in love with Jesus, then you'll start to look like him. Because everything is about this. Is You know, one day it says that we will meet him in the clouds and as we see him, we will become like him in a twinkling of an eye. Do you realize that on that day, a Bible is not going to come from heaven and you're not going to have, you're not going to, the Bible's not going to come down and then all of a sudden your whole mind, you'll have all the theology that you need so that you can be a good Christian. You realize that the whole word is pointing to a real man with a real heart who is passionate and in love with you. And when you see that real man for who he really is, you'll become all that he has intended you to be. And when we represent that real man, I believe we will love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And so what I've become so passionate about is that it has to be about him. You realize that the whole Old Testament was about, was about us not being able to fulfill the steps anymore. It's, it was about us trying to constantly purify ourselves, cleanse ourselves by all these religious routines and practices, and we failed every single time. Because that all pointed to the fact that we needed a Savior named Jesus who was going to fulfill the whole law so that you could step 
in front of him fully and be present with him. So when we enter in to the steps and the rules and the religion, what happens is we, we, don't, we don't honor Jesus. We honor our works and we honor ourselves and we say, I, I can do this. I can get to God. But it's not about us getting to God. It's about him coming to us. And I believe we don't love other people well because we're like you, you know, a lot of the times we're looking at the world and Christians are looking at the world and we're saying, oh my gosh, they're so evil. You ever, anyone ever say, you know, to yourself like, you know, most of the time people aren't the problem, you're, you have the problem. You guys realize that in your own life, like, like a lot of times we're like so frustrated with something out there, but often it comes back to us, yeah? I would like to say that's the same thing for the body of Christ. So often we're like looking out there and like, what the heck world, you're crazy, but it all comes back to the body. Why does it come back to the body? Because we're the light of the world. So if there's a lot of darkness out there, why are we so surprised? It comes from here, the light comes from here. So is it really about the world or is it really about us? But instead, what we do is we say, they're so evil. They don't know Moses in the Bible. They don't know he split the Red Sea. It's because we're supposed to disciple nations. How are we supposed to disciple nations? Are we supposed to sit them all down and give them a rule list and say, you need to follow this way, that way, this way, this way? That's how we're going to disciple you. No, we're supposed to teach them how to fall madly in love with Jesus and that actually, if you're a businessman, if you're a businesswoman, if you're a doctor, you're a nurse, you carry the Spirit of God and therefore, wherever you go, you have the light within you and you get to teach other people what their destiny and their glory is by you walking as a son and a daughter of God. And when they see who you were created to be, they'll realize who they were created to be and they'll give up all the junk and we can finally disciple nations. It's so much better. It's so much better. We were never designed to follow rules. We are designed to follow a real person named Jesus who is substance and has life. And constantly my prayer is, Jesus, you got to teach me how to love. You just got to teach me how to love. Because I look sometimes at situations and circumstances, and, and I'll just tell you, if you're not responding from Jesus, you're responding from pain or hurt or the past. Because so often people are like, they don't realize it, but they're actually responding from their past Jayla, she hated the church. She was like, I don't like the church. That all came from pain. What happened? Jesus showed her what the church is actually supposed to be. Now she's like, yay, the church. Yeah? Yay. And so often we're, we're responding from the world. We're responding from hurt. We're responding from pain. And if we don't respond from Jesus, then we won't look like Jesus. Because Jesus only functions from wholeness. He only functions from wholeness. And so I love that. You know, he didn't like, 
He didn't like, you know, you weren't just a bike that like had some broken, you know, axles and, and a broken mirror and a broken bell. And Jesus is like, well, let me make you whole. Let me fix, let me make those axles like straight. And let me like put some duct tape around the mirror. No, Jesus is like, that's too much work. You die. Just die already. And I'm going to resurrect you and you get a brand new life because that's way easier. (laughs) And most of us are like, I'm just going to manage my anger. No, don't manage your anger. Die. (laughs) He's not in a sin management program. He's not like trying to get us to be good Christians. He's like, die and be resurrected into new life. Some of you guys are like, I'm glad you died. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Some of you are like offended because you're like, (laughs) just kidding. Um, I'm saying all this to say, (laughs) die. (laughs) Tell your spouse, die. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But it's, it's real. It really is real. Jesus isn't trying to resurrect your old bicycle. He's trying to give you a brand new Ferrari. He's making you a new creation. So if he makes you a new creation, you have to realize that the past is actually done. It says nothing can keep you from the love of God. Death, life, no future, nothing. And, and it, it, but the one thing it doesn't mention is your past. You want to know why? Because your past was already dealt with. And what I'm saying is, as we move forward into what God has for us, we have to put down the past. We have to put down the past hurts that we've had from church. We've had to put down the past hurts that we have from relationship. We have to put down the past hurts from everything that does not look whole and doesn't look like Jesus because that was never his intention. And I believe as we do that, I believe we'll walk in the glory of what he's called us to be. Because one day, we're going to see him for who he really is. And I believe right now we're on the journey of seeing him for who he really is. And I promise you, every time you get a glimpse of him, you will be transformed. Every time you go up to the mountain... And you see his face, you come down and you look like a new person. But that only comes from face-to-face relationship. And it was only ever intended to come from face-to-face relationship. And nothing will supplement face-to-face. No amount of Bible reading you do, no amount of church going you do will supplement the face-to-face. But if you discover him face-to-face in his word, that is what transforms you and makes you a new creation. When you encounter him here face-to-face, then that's when you're transformed. And am I saying, like, if you're like, oh, I have relationship with Jesus, I don't really like the Bible. No, that doesn't work out. Or, uh, you know, I I love Jesus, but I don't really want to do church. Well, it says, don't forsake the gathering of the brethren. So I'm not saying these things to stir up any controversy. What I'm saying is nothing, no shadow can ever replace the substance of his face. 
and no shadow was ever intended to replace the substance of his face. And all of the Old Testament was about shadows pointing to the one man whose name is Jesus, and he's a real person. And so I promise you, what does it look like to walk in freedom? It means to have a father. You want to have a father. You want to have a father. Because if you don't, what you don't realize is you will be the kid eating all the candy and getting a stomach ache. And, and I'll end on this, but I remember, does anyone know Taco Bueno? <laughs> okay, Taco Bueno is a great, I used to live in Texas and I'd eat Taco Bueno. It's like Taco Bell, but it, if Bell was hell and Bueno was heaven, that would be what it's like. And all of you guys are like, I love Taco Bell. But Buen, Taco Bueno was just so good, okay? And so, <laughs> and so, I'm just saying a lot of controversial things tonight. So, <laughs> so Taco Bueno is an amazing burrito place uh, and maybe it was a little bit more amazing when I was younger because everything's more amazing when you're younger, you know, like Golden Corral is like heaven and then you eat it and you're like, dang, this is like cafeteria food, you know, like everything seemed things better when you're a kid. And I remember Taco Bueno, I just loved it so much. It was so delicious. But one time I went with a bunch of friends and uh, we just like ordered like tons of burritos. Like, I mean, and then afterwards, we went to 7-Eleven and we got Slurpees. And then after that, we had this massive pillow fight, which sounds really lame, but these pillows were like concrete bags. And I remember one time my friend tackling me with my arms to my back, and I just was like falling face forward, and one of my friends just knocks my head with a pillow, and I just like, boom, like my, my head just bounces off the ground. And I'm just like laying there, and I'm like, ugh. And so anyways, after like 10 burritos and slushies and my noggin getting knocked back and forth, I went to bed and I woke up at two in the morning and I was just like, and like projectile vomit just comes forth from me and my friends are like laying next to me. It was just a bad scene. Anyways, I say all of this, not to gross you out, but afterwards, even though Taco Bueno was so good, and bueno means good, it's about the extent of what I know, even though it was so good, all of a sudden I found myself never wanting to eat Taco Bueno again. Like, have you had some food that you ate and then you got sick and you're like, never again will I do it. And so I found myself at that place and I'm like, just the thought of Taco Bueno made me sick. And, and I didn't really take into the account that I had like 20 burritos and that I had 7-Eleven and the fact that my head got chopped off almost by a pillow. Like I equated all of that damage to Taco Bueno. And so therefore I never wanted Taco Bueno and I found myself sick. And, and what I'm saying is often what happens is God has something good intended for us but what we see is the perverted version of what he had that was good for us. And we associate what he had that was good for us, and we associate it with that same feeling. And therefore, when, we even, when someone even talks about it, it's like, ugh, don't, don't mention that. And what I'm saying is, is that God, you know, when your heart gets sick because something has happened, God actually wants to heal your heart.
And a lot of times, the good things that he has for us, the devil wants to make sure we have a bad experience with that because then we'll never go after that good thing that he has for us. And so I believe the world has had a bad experience of Christians. And some of us as ha- of Christians have had bad experience of the good things that God has intended for us. And what I'm saying is that I believe God wants to actually transform our hearts and heal our hearts so that we can actually represent the good of what God originally intended. And I believe, like I said, he never operates from pain. He heals your pain. Like, he never operates from a broken bicycle. He operates from a new creation. And I just want to say, whatever it is in your life that does not feel like a new creation and does not feel whole, God's saying, hey, I'd love to have that thing from you because I really want to heal it. And I believe, honestly, as he heals areas of our lives, that I believe we will have such great influence in. You know, I don't think, I don't think it's by accident, you know, that some of our lives have been wrecked in a certain area over and over again. It's because actually Jesus has such a great thing that he wants to do in that area of our life. And so, if, if someone could come up and play, I just want to lead us. I just keep on feeling the same thing, and it's that God only operates from wholeness. And I really feel like there's places that he wants to have, and he wants his goodness to come and wrap around it because in his goodness all things are healed and it says every good and perfect gift comes from above from the father of lights most of the world doesn't want to be told what to do because they're not being led by a father they're being led by almost like a dictator and and I believe that God is restoring fathers to actually to actually carry the heart of a father and I believe that as he restores fathers, that, that there's going to be, there's just going to be a new arising of sons to represent the glory of what he intended and daughters. So with that, I just want us to ask God, God, is there any area of my life that I have allowed a shadow to be the substance? Is there any area of my life that I have actually I have actually partnered with a lie and it's affected the way that I see you? And I just want him to ask, I just want you to ask any of those and as you see it the lie I want you to ask God what the truth is about that area.
Jesus, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for absolutely transforming us. Father, I thank you that, that actually the only thing you care about is, is us loving you and you loving us with everything. And from that place comes everything that we need to become and everything that you're calling us into. And Father, I even pray that the shadows and the things that are not sourcing our walk in life with you would fall off so that we could be madly in love with you and be madly in love with, with, the other, with people that you put in our lives for us to love. And so Jesus, we bless you, we love you, we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Awesome. Love you guys. I just encourage you, go encourage someone and prophesy over them and tell them how amazing they are. In Jesus' name.